Dr. Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. What's doing? Well, folks, 500 is a nice round number. This is the 500th episode of the Paul Leslie Hour. Welcome to it. On this episode, we have a songsmith extraordinaire. Butch Hancock is with us. I think you are going to enjoy. Can you help the Paul Leslie Hour? It only takes a moment, and your help keeps it going. Just go to thepaulleslie.com. Up at the top, you're going to see where it says support the show. Click there. It only takes a moment and makes a world of difference. You can also help by just sharing this interview. Please share this interview on social media. That's a big help, too. I want to thank Lance Cowan, as well as our special guest, Butch Hancock. And whether this is your first time tuning in or you're a regular listener, I'm very grateful to have you here. Enjoy the show, and thank you for listening. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is episode number 500 of the Paul Leslie Hour. Welcome, welcome all. I have a man joining us who has been called a master of words and one of the finest songwriters of our time. Butch Hancock is a vocalist, performer, recording artist. He's also a visual artist, a painter and photographer. Butch Hancock is a member of the renowned group The Flatlanders, along with Jimmy Dale Gilmore and Joe Ely. Along with his numerous recordings, his songs have been interpreted by people like Emmy Lou Harris and the late Jerry Jeff Walker. Butch Hancock, it's been a pleasure to listen to your music through the years, and now, finally, to welcome you today. Thank you so much. Well, it's, it's a pleasure, Paul, to be be alive and well out here in, in Terlingua, Texas, out in the middle of the desert. The Chihuahuan Desert, you know, comes up from, from Mexico right here by the border and uh, actually extends over a ways into, into Texas. So we've, we've, got the, we've got the northern edge of the desert out here. And it's a beautiful day. <laughs> it's a beautiful day here, but I, I like to think that radio and podcasts, they're, they're theaters of the mind. Yeah. So how would you describe this part of the country that you're in right now? Well, let's see. Uh, that, yeah, there's a tornado coming over the hill just to the north of us, about 100 yards away. Uh, it should be here shortly. And uh, other thunderstorms building up everywhere. And it's snowing. My God, it's snowing now that I've... Um, and and, uh, and uh, if that is not, no, it's not. Okay, what what is that out there? <laughs> I'm looking out my north window here, so anything can happen out there. But uh, other than that, I'd describe it as uh, we're, uh, it's an old ghost town because there aren't any new ones that I know of in, in the neighborhood. And uh, I moved out here, uh, my wife and I and my family moved out here oh, back in 97, 98, and uh, but I've made the mistake of telling everybody in Austin that we moved out here because there's ample parking, <laughs> and I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> in fact, I'm thinking about you know see if I can get a concession you know, franchise on parking meters out here now. I'm thinking about it. <laughs> I'll let you know how that goes. <laughs> but it's a it's a it's theoretically isolated. There's a, it's starting to grow fast and. Uh, uh, but it's uh, a wonderful community of folks, and it always got your back. 
we've got a a lot of tour. It's ecotourism, they call it, and I ca- I call it eek a tourist. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but uh, we we all seem to manage to get along with it all. <laughs> I don't know if that made any sense. Actually, we got and we have a, a good little music community here. It's a there's some really wonderful pickers and and good songwriters and nice little music scene going on. It's had to kind of go in indoors and you know quarantine this year has been a little little difficult on a lot of folks, but uh, I think that's the way it is kind of all over right now. Oh yeah. Well, on that note, have you found this year 2020? <laughs> has it been a year that you've written a lot? Has it been an inspiring year? No, well, I mean, it's it's inspiring in many many ways, but uh, I haven't. I don't think I've written a song this year. It's been a. I haven't been trying to. It's been it's been a a whole different world, and but I'm dang near learning how to play the guitar now, though. <laughs> after fifty years of it, you know, it's I finally. Oh, that's how you do that, man. It's a spend several hours a day with the guitar, and it's just fantastic. I'm, I'm <laughs> learning things I should, I wish I had known back then. <laughs> Would you say that there has been any blessing to this year for you? Well, absolutely, every day. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, it's they're uncountable. Just about anything you want to call a curse can also be a blessing, you know. So it's, uh, it's a lot of time. We have a lot of time out here to to uh, watch the cactus grow but you can substitute it by just in watching how how your friends grow and how how the human condition uh is that, I, i'm more of in a state of osmosis right now than uh than uh evolution i think but it's uh, i guess it, that osmosis may be part of evolution evolution we'll see in a, in a few months or years huh <laughs> Well, how did you learn to write songs? Was that something that just came natural to you? I, well, I think everything's natural, so that, that, that answer might be yes, but the, in the conventional use of that idea, no, not even, not really came naturally. It just, uh, I picked up a guitar and tried to learn some songs and chords and, and then I figured, hey, I could be writing some songs, so I started writing songs that the story goes and uh this is pretty accurate actually that uh, I, w- I was working as a tractor driver for my dad out around lubbock texas and uh he'd have me out there on different earth moving equipment basically for uh, you know morning to dusk at times and i always interview my my audiences and ask them how many tractor drivers do we have out there and it's getting to be fewer and fewer hands go up. <laughs> but uh, I tell them, that, well, if you are a tractor driver, you know that after the first couple of minutes every morning uh, on the tractor, you've done 95% of the heavy mental work for the day. <laughs> and, and there you are staring at a empty field and a and a, you've got a mind that's probably full of all kinds of stuff, but... Uh, and that kind of it got to be where I would write some songs out there on the tractor, and uh, I discovered I, I took some harmonicas out there one time just to kind of keep me company on the tractor, a harmonica and a harmonica rack, and uh, I found out that the key of G was just about even up with uh, 
second gear at two throttle on this old tractor that I drove almost every day. And uh, so I could, by shifting gears and speeding up and slowing down, I could play, you know, most of the songs I already knew. And I started making up songs. <laughs> so that's where I got my, my start, actually writing songs. I was sitting on track. Very interesting. Well, it is. It kind of, it's like, you know, sometimes you get in a car and drive for, usually takes about an hour or two before it sets in that there's, hey, you know, you can actually, there's room in your mind to, to write a song while driving a car because you still keep your eyes and uh, on the road and your hands on the wheel. And it requires a little bit of, uh, doesn't require a huge amount of presence and attention, but it, what, it, what it does require that's small is absolutely essential. So to, uh, to drive the car. And then that leaves you with a lot more brain space to work on songs and reason with your unconscious. <laughs> hmm. At least that's how I feel today. <laughs> Other than the, the tractors and the writing of these songs, how do you think growing up in this part of Texas that you're from, how do you think that that affected you? Oh, uh, I think uh, there, there's something about about the topography of of a place that that uh, works on your unconscious. I think and uh, Lubbock area where I grew up it was just flat as a pancake, or as Terry Allen said, if you stand out in the field out there, you if you stare hard enough, you can. And, and look long enough and stare hard enough, you can actually see the back of your head. <laughs> it's so flat. <laughs> and and uh, there's we've got we've got several other versions of that. You know, watching your dog run away for a week. You know, it's so flat. <laughs> it's one yeah one thing after another. But yeah, man, I don't know what's the next question. We we'll, we better yeah not spend too dwell too long on that i was wondering about your parents were were they supportive of this idea of of their son being an artist well yeah i i, I think they didn't didn't figure it out exactly my, my dad figured it out my, and I, I think my mom was worried about you know not uh one of the times i dropped out of architecture school at texas tech uh she kind of got worried and but my dad said, oh, "Well, Mama, your uh, your son, you raised an artist here," <laughs> and he kind of chuckled about it. You know, he figured it <laughs> out. And they, they, uh, my dad had to put up with me writing writing songs while driving a tractor. And he, I'd see him kind of scratching his head halfway across the field, wondering why I was going in circles, and you know. But uh, he put up with it long enough for me to get some songs started. So. It was, a, it, was a, it was a very, very interesting time. Uh, you know, that was back during Vietnam days. Everybody was going crazy. I mean, everybody was going crazy, and anybody who thought they weren't was even crazier. So uh, it, was, it, was, it was great times. And here we are these days, same, you know, how far have we come? Yeah, that's, why, that's why I question evolution and lean lean more towards osmosis. 
it does seem like uh, human beings are kind of wired to to make mistakes in circles. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I like that phrase. Yeah, <laughs> make mistakes in circles. Yes. Yeah. yeah. History repeats itself, and sometimes you didn't want to hear it the first time. <laughs> you even put it better. <laughs> What would you say has always been the purpose of the art you create? Uh, I would say just exploration. There may be sub-purposes and some, sometimes a dominant pur- purpose rears its ugly head. But, you know, uh, I write kind of exploring and a lot of times I have no clue what's going to come up come from it. And uh, so, yeah, it's... If it's not an exploration, then it's it's kind of like what what yeah what is a purpose? <laughs> you know, to tell everybody, hey, I know all this. Pay attention to me, or is it uh, you know to explore? You know, maybe maybe entice people to explore your poetry with you. Hmm. Not you know, I mean, you'll you'll get judgment for sure about it. But yeah, maybe maybe here and there somebody said, "Hey, man, that's an, somewhere that's a little different twist of something. Let's see where that goes, and uh, just help people open up a little more." Uh, I, I, sometimes I know I'm I'm kind of preachy with some of my songs, but I'm not I'm actually not trying to you know force it down somebody's throat. It's a it's just an offering. Hmm. So. Uh, Ah, uh, and where do, and yeah, uh, that begs the old question: of where, where do songs come from? And uh, I'd like, I'd like to, to talk to somebody who has found that out. I have, have fifty years of doing it, and I have no clue where the songs come from. Except we all live in a universe, so I guess it comes from the universe somewhere. There's things you can do to kind of egg it on, maybe. But uh, where that, where that original spark comes from is a uh, I think beyond control it's a uh, you just make yourself available for it and, and then try to stay out of the way hmm. you may maybe you can help it along with a you know some if you've done your homework with with your with your instruments and a little bit of songwriting techniques there are techniques there are things that uh that you can employ, but the danger is that you might employ them. The, the good good thing about the techniques are that they're there in case you need them, in case you have. But if you use the technique to get you to the place, you know, I think you may have stopped exploring. So, and you get, you know, that's why you get so much stuff sounds so alike. Back back in the day, in the, on the radio, we just got where we couldn't listen to it hardly because it, stuff was all sound like can music, can music. Didn't the who wrote that? Uh, oh, uh, Dan Hicks. Didn't he write a song can music? I think he did. He might have. And he's a whole nother story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is he still? Man, man, I don't know if he's still around. I, think, I don't yeah, know. Sure he is. He's got to be. Yeah. You mentioned the radio, and I always like to point people in the direction of things that I think are are really cool. 
people can find this, I listened to this folk scene radio show with the late Howard Larman, and really great with you and Jimmy Dale Gilmore. Very, very interesting performing of songs and just talking about different things. There was something you said in that interview. You said that your biggest inspiration, it was visual things that inspired you. And that made me curious about, so how does that work? You're walking along or you're driving along and something strikes you. How does that happen? Yeah, well, you know, I think it goes back to my first days driving the tractor, you know. My first album was full of, what was it called, uh, West Texas Waltzes and Dust Blown Tractor Tunes. <laughs> That's sort of a little subtitle to it almost. It was. I was sitting up on the tractor, and I started writing songs about what I saw. And there ain't that much. You'd think there's not that much to see out there, but uh, but there's you know there's a yellow school bus down an old country road. I mean, that's. I was looked up and I saw that. You know, half a mile away, but I saw it. And uh, sand dunes drifting where the west winds blowed. Cows in the meadow and crows in the corn and here I still am in the land where I was born you know so it's just man just look around you it's uh the songs are everywhere without exception it's if, if whether you're crazy enough or brave enough or dumb enough or smart enough to, to write down what you see and if you keep your ears open you know, it's not that don't just come in through the eyes you know you keep your ears open You'll hear 30 or 40 songs a day, or at least the hook lines. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it's pretty, pretty bizarre. I just, you know, I'll tell you about a song I wrote. Uh, I haven't recorded it yet. It's, uh, but it was in, actually about three years ago in February. And, and I got up one morning here and, oh, just before the sun came up, went outside to take a piss and, and, uh, this, my mind was kind of you know, groggy waking up. There's a beautiful sunrise. I could tell it was going to happen. But but uh, as I stood there, I, this phrase came to my mind. It was, let your bare feet touch the earth today. Hmm. And I went, wow. What a, yeah, man, that's, what, that's great advice. And. And went back in and actually wrote that down as and I think I posted that on Facebook just just as a just as a little note, you know, and and then I got to thinking, well, you know, maybe I could write a song out of that or something. I started trying to mess with it a little, and and it nothing seemed to write, and I kind of put it on the burner and back burner, and next morning same thing, except I got showed up outside after the sun had come up. And the phrase that hit me right in the face, literally, was, let your bare face feel the sunshine. Wow. That's another beautiful piece of advice for a day, you know. And so the upshot of it was that I started doing this every day, is let is letting something in the day itself write the next line. And I didn't know if I was writing a song or a little paragraph or what, but after four or five lines, I started seeing a little a little pattern to it, and I even rhymed it. But each line would would slightly affect the next line, but not in the way in which I usually write songs. You know, it would just it would just kind of be there. 
and so this is like I was maybe trying to make sentences or you know that kind of a re- relationship, not not specific meaning necessarily, but but just take from the the tone of the the previous line or or as as I got through the month of February, it was it was adding up to little four line stanzas and. Um, I finally realized, well, it must be at least a poem, might be a song, but it was like three or four weeks into it before I started even thinking about a melody. And uh, it turned out to be a beautiful little thing. And the, But the main thing, the main thing about it, Paul, was it was, I'd never written a song in such a manner. I said, okay, just one line a day. And I'm not going to be the guy who writes it. The day has got to tell me what it is, <laughs> and and so every day it changed my whole my whole outlook on the day. I said, okay, I'm, I'm and I, I worked on other songs, you know, during that time, I, and I'd work on them in my usual like laborious fashion, you know, trying you know trying things out and seeing you know doing that exploring thing, but this was a real listening month. And opening, opening my mind, and 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 being being there for whatever was going to be the the magic moment, <laughs> and it all it always happened every day. There was this line that came up, and uh, it was it was such it was the most effortless song I've ever written, and I've had some that just blurred out, you know, like I can't help it, but. But this was just a beautiful thing because I was, uh, it was a real different kind of consciousness. Instead of worrying about how to get a chorus or a, a verse finished up, I was just waiting <laughs> and just, and listening and, and open heart, open mind. And what could it possibly be? You know, and a lot of times there'd be something like, oh, here it is. And, and that's not, that's not it. And, and but it always it always showed up and and I thought about man maybe I should write all my songs like it <laughs> but but not necessarily you know it's uh, there's there's so many many methods of approaching songwriting it's uh, ridiculous but so I, so that was and almost every line had something to do with with nature or the nature of the universe or something. You know everything from you know seeds in, in the field and and the hawk on the wing and on uh, more bare feet and more sunshine or clouds and sky you know everything that a desert has out here just about showed up in the in the song so it's there's instead of getting into a frenzy about writing a song and you know man I got to get this done you know it's so relaxing to say hey. Man, this is yeah. I'm not writing a song anyway. Life is writing it, and, <laughs> or uh, maybe maybe the sun shines. Maybe I'll write a song, you know, that the sun only listen to the sun or talk to the sun, and get a song out of that. Or maybe just pick pick an object or a person. So you can do the same. This is kind of what we do with with every little thing we encounter. Is we kind of size it up for, you know, what what good is that for me, you know. It's kind of an egocentric way to do it, but if you get out of the egocentricity and just listen to listen to that object, listen to that grasshopper, listen to that uh, you know barn 
blowing away in the wind. Listen to that car wreck over on the highway, but I didn't hear nobody pray. <laughs> Remember <laughs> that old song? Oh, I yeah. saw all the wreck on the highway. Yeah. So I, I, songwriting is, is really just opening up, I think. And I mean, there are people who may have so many great ideas, they just sit down and write a song from an idea. And I've, I guess I've done that before, but, uh, uh, it, to me, you've got to you've got to open up the words that come to you, and let them be infected by the tone of the day or the tone of of uh, some kind of direction vector or something that's that uh, an arrow pointing some direction through the song, a thread through it. You know, um, you gotta you gotta have a kind of a, a a way of creating a benchmark or a a an evaluation system that that you don't put too much ego into you know give it give it a you know let it discover its its parameter its own parameters kind of makes sense i, I, I did it there was another song i did uh what which one was it that uh oh it was uh one that'll be on my new album that's called Pine Cone. I figured, hey, somebody from Lubbock, Flatlands, Great South Plains, should write a song about a pine tree or a pine cone. And, it, you know, I tell everybody, well, you know, I was three years old before I saw Lubbock's first pine cone. Hmm. They said it, it was from a pine tree, and so then we had to find the, where that pine tree was. It turned out it was about four blocks away. And it was another two or three years before I saw another pine tree. So, <laughs> you know, it's, anyway, so here I go and write this song. And it was, pine cone dropping from a lonesome pine. If it hits me on my head, I'll be in tears. <laughs> I mean, and and it's like, what? What the hell is that? And each line just kind of, like, those two lines kind of, what does... No, no, no. If it, it, it goes pine cone dropping from a lonesome pine. Oh, let's see. Now I'm forgetting it. Where, let's see. Where does all the money go? Is that it? Yeah, where does all the money go? What does that have to do with pine cone dropping from a lonesome pine? Well, maybe nothing, but maybe we'll find out. And, and then the next line was, uh, let's see, pine cone dropping from a lonesome pine. If it hits me, oh, help. Oh, oh, no. So, where does all the money go? Question mark hides behind the dollar sign. Oh, it's starting to tie something together there. And the next line was, uh, I never knew before, but now I know. And uh, then it goes back to pine cone dropping from a lonesome pine. If it hits me on my head, I'll be in tears. And if I see some stars, I'll take it for a sign. It's the only sign of light I've seen in years. So these, these, you can jump around. You know, let, poetry wants to jump around a lot. And if you let it, whoever hears it will fill in the gaps. I guarantee you. So uh, that's my advice to young songwriters listening tonight. Or today. What, what time do you air these things? Daytime or night? <laughs> Mornings is when they come out first. 
Morning. <laughs> oh, cool. I'll get them before they've had time to think too much. <laughs> yeah, excellent. But anyway, that's kind of that's kind of where I go, you know, every day more or less. It's like, what's it all about, and 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 how would I know anyway? That was very fascinating to me, and I I love it when people will will analyze things like that, analyze words, and uh, I don't know why I've always had this this thing. I love it when somebody is on the show and they just sing one of their lines on the phone. I've always liked that. <laughs> oh, yeah. so thank oh, that's you. cool, yeah. <laughs> oh, my, yeah, my pleasure. I was just glad I could remember it. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned this record on the horizon. Yeah, uh, it'll be titled Seven Cities of Gold, hmm. and I recorded it seven years ago. Okay, so... Ridiculously, ridiculously long time in between, you know, but I... Yeah. I'm kind of, it's kind of like, uh, kind of like that song I wrote that I was telling you about that, eh, the day will tell me how to do it, you know. So, yeah, at some, at some point, it's, you know, everything, everything's just about ready to release it, and I'm anticipating it will be very soon. But I've been saying that for seven years, too, so, and it's a really, it's gonna be a wonderful album. It's, uh, most of the Flatlander, in fact, all the Flatlander band showed up on it. And Cindy Cash Dollar and uh, Bucka Allen and let's see uh, oh this 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 lady that plays a accordion from up around Fort Worth Jenny Mack that's with the G I N N Y M A C you ought to check her out she's got incredible ability on that on the accordion and her boyfriend at the time Austin Smith played fiddle and they they were just they would just intertwine their leads and it was just some magic happened with that but uh yeah so it was a it was we had a great time recording that and then i forgot what happened that i i just kind of shelved it for a little while but turned into a long while but hey it's all right and so that should be out in 2021 Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, nice. Well, there's a song. People can watch this. It's on your website, butchhancock.net. And it's the first thing you see. It's this song, Boxcars. And um, I recommend that they watch this. I've always been fascinated with how, for whatever reason, trains have just had such a, a recurring theme in American music. And they've fascinated me well you know they yeah they they literally yeah you're right well i I think because the hobos got a hold of them you know and uh there was something about they hopped on they sang probably sang some songs you know hopping down a freight with a maybe a harmonica maybe a guitar or maybe nothing just tapping but listening to that rhythm you know like that just there's a rhythm to those to the rails every time it it cross, crosses a joint where the rails meet there's that there's that little click clack clickety clack of the old railroad track you know and uh it's it's there's built in music and there's built in music to to cars too and to motorcycles and bicycles and tricycles and you know so we're We've got these built-in uh, 
rhythms that and the chugging of the of the uh, the old steam trains. Uh, you know, there are a lot of there's lots of rhythms that really deeply affected a lot of people. And and, this, and with trains, there's that the image of the big powerful locomotive and and faraway places. You know, so uh, that I mean that's one of the obvious. It's not so much a reason; it just happened to be there. And again, you know, trains got invented in about the same time that that the you know guitars and, and pianos started to proliferate in this country. Hmm. And and then about the time the trains, the old steam engines began to disappear. Everybody and their dog got a guitar, and so there were some amazing, amazing, you know, dance dance music ensued from all of that. All the old juke joints and, and uh, cowboy honky tonks. There's always been a connection between music and dance. It shows no sign of letting up. I don't think. <laughs> I was mentioning at the beginning of the interview about the different singers, you know, aside from your Flatlander brothers that have recorded your songs, also Jerry Jeff Walker, Amy Lou Harris. What is that like for you when somebody records one of your songs? Oh, it's great. I, I love, yeah, every, you know, even if somebody butchers it, which is every once in a while something like that happens, but... Uh, maybe just somebody records it, you know, not as a, an album. But people that are, you know, into, you know, if they're going to make an album, they usually have got enough together to do a pretty good job. And some, and most of the time, people do great jobs. Of, you know, if they love a song, they're going to want to do it justice. I mean, I know I'm that way. I, you know, I'd like to. There's songs I I don't sing that I love, but I just don't know how to play them. Hmm. Well, this might be a put-you-on-the-spot kind of question, but who do you think has done the best job at covering a Butch Hancock song? Eek! Boy, you know, I don't know. It's a... Heck. Well, you know, i I tell you who's done the most jobs that I love is Joe and, and Jimmy. They've done a lot, a lot of them, and they just... They're just a couple of impeccable artists, you know. But uh and 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 Jerry Jeff <laughs> I gotta tell you about Jerry Jeff. Me, me and Bill Hearn played a, a tribute to to Jerry Jeff uh right after right after, it was right after the he had died and we were in, had a gig over at Kerrville, an actual live gig, first live gig I've had since February. And we did a Jerry Jeff song told a few tales about it. But uh, Jerry Jeff had to record a couple of my songs, and, and one of them was uh, that uh, standing at the big hotel. And it turns out Bob Livingston got him to do that. Everywhere they'd go when he was, you know, Bob played bass in his band, Gon Los Gonzo band. And everywhere they'd go, Bob would be singing it, Gary P. would be singing it. And, and finally, Jerry just said, oh, all right, stop singing now. I'll record it. <laughs> just wore him out, wore him down. <laughs> but he did a great job on that song, I think. Oh, yeah. So, and oh, yeah. Lou, my gosh, holy mackerel. 
or the planet. She was a, was a and you know, Flacco. Oh yeah. Flacco, he didn't sing it, but he had, he had Emmy Lou sing uh, the West Texas Waltz. I thought, man, I didn't expect that from, from Flacco, but we got to be pretty good friends over in, in Switzerland one time. I've been on a, on a solo. Well, actually, I had a couple of guys playing with me. Slim played the accordion, and and uh, Jesse Guitar Taylor was playing guitar. We did a tour of Italy, and then and right as we were leaving Italy, the night before uh, we left, we did a little gig with uh, Incesto Calendi up near Lago Maggiore, up which borders on the Swiss border. And uh, Ramblin' Jack Elliott did the gig. We we, we did a double bill, you know. And then that night, I happened to be rooming with with Ramblin' Jack, and of course he he wouldn't stop telling me tales and stories. And he finally, and I was getting sleepy. I had to get up early the next morning and catch catch a train to Switzerland to to Zurich. And of course, Ramblin' Jack got to reading me from. Cormac McCarthy book, All the Pretty Horses or something. And and I was trying to go to sleep, but, but I made the mistake of kind of every once in a while he would finish a paragraph and start a breath and I would go, uh-huh, or something like that, you know. <laughs> and that and I shouldn't have done that, man. It's like uh, that just encouraged him, you know, and he kept going. <laughs> and it was like 5.30 and I'd, I finally drifted off to sleep and, and then my alarm went off and I had to go catch a train. Me and Jesse and Slam caught the train. Of course, you can't stay, can't go to sleep on a train going through the Alps. you got to gawk out the window through from Texas, man, for sure. And um, and anyway, we got up there to uh, to Zurich and um, got our luggage off the train, guitars off the train, headed over to the hotel. We just decided to walk. It was it was about five blocks. We thought it was about two blocks, but anyway. So about halfway over the, to, to the hotel, we walked by this little bar, and I heard somebody say, "Hey, Butch Hancock, hey, blah, 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 blah. he came running out, and it was Doug Som. He said because they they were we were opening the show for him the next night or that that night over at this this big uh, big auditorium and. Uh, and he came in there and just started yakking at me about baseball and rock and roll, his two <laughs> favorite subjects, man. And he's as he's a, as much as a talker as Ramblin' Jack. <laughs> so it's like I, getting out of the frying pan into the boiling pot, man. And uh, we had a great time and and wound up uh, having a great show with him. And uh, and uh, and I'm bring, bringing all this up because it covers so many bases here. Flacco was playing with him, of course, and uh, Jesse Guitar Taylor. We'd finished our set, and and I was kind of hanging in backstage, and or I was up in the the green room, uh, which was upstairs, right off the uh, stage left, and and I, I came down the steps and I was hanging around, kind of side stage, just listening a little while, and. Uh, I saw Jesse up on the stairs, kind of a little uh, this landing up there, and he was kind of leaning on the the banister, at, like, and he just was staring down at the stage, and and he looked kind of sick or something. I thought, man, what? Uh-oh. So I ran up there and said, Jesse, you okay? You okay? And he said, No, no, I'm not. But I said, well, What's the matter? What's the matter? And he says, Well, 
do you see Flacco? I said, yeah, there he's down, right down the stage. Well, Butch, you know, I'm, I'm quite a drinker. I fancy myself as a real good beer drinker, but I've been watching Flacco here and he has, watch him. What's, what's, what's he doing? And I looked back down there and he, Flacco was back at the back corner of the stage. He had two stage hands back there with him and one stage hand was popping beer tops and handing them to Flacco, and the other one was lighting cigarettes and handing them to me. And I was sat there, and Jesse would say, Butch, I have met my master. I think he, he I think, yeah, he can outdrink me, man. He's, I've watched him drink. I just counted 12 beers, and we sat there and counted another 12. He drank a full case of beer while he was playing the gig and he would he would turn around after he'd finished a beer and run out there and you know tickle the ivories a little bit on his accordion and then come back and grab a cigarette and it was unbelievable and Jesse and Jesse and I were just just paralyzed with I don't know I with Jesse I think it was kind of admiration <laughs> but uh, with me I just couldn't see I you know I could it was back when I might drink a beer, but if I drank two, I was in trouble, man. So here he, he could just, and then on top of that, that night, we went over to the hotel we were staying at, and down in the basement of the hotel, there was, they had a little get together with the guitars and, and, and Flacco was down there flirting with the girls and, and <laughs> drinking hard liquor. And I just, I, I could not fathom it, man. It was beyond my imagination. Well, next morning I woke up, got, went down to the lobby, and there was Flacco interviewing. He was having a, something in his coffee. I don't know what to put in coffee, but, but uh, and interviewing, somebody was interviewing him from the local paper. Well, Flacco, we became good friends on that. Right about that time, and he was, he's, uh, so he, I guess, had it in his heart to record a song of mine or two. You know? <laughs> so, man, it's, 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 you never know, you never know where a song is going to go and how it's going to get there. <laughs> so, that, uh, that album I did, uh, what is it called? Uh, you could have walked around the world. Somebody over in, uh, I, I'd, I'd come back from, uh, Tibet. I'd gone over to Nepal and Tibet. No, I didn't go to Tibet. I went to Nepal. And, uh, but this person came, came through Austin, uh, about, oh, uh, two years after I'd been over there and he had been in Tibet trekking all over the mountains over there. And he had been singing this song. You could have walked around the world. He'd been singing that song and, uh, to all the little villages and somebody was translating it for me. He said, yeah, everybody over there loves that song. And I went, wow, what in the world? How did that song get on the other side of the planet? And off into some little villages out in, you know, in the Himalaya mountains. God. And you, have to, you just don't know, man. You don't know where a song's going to wind up. You don't know where it comes from. So how in the world can you know where it's going to go? <laughs> Interesting. Great oh. stories. It's just as well, I say this probably every day. It's up one side and down the other. <laughs> <laughs>
What would you say is the best thing about being Butch Hancock? Oh, I don't know. I, shoot, it's everything. Everything, and not not about me. It's, it's it's just, I guess, that I happen to be on the planet, and I get to get to meet so many incredible folks and people, and and see the great beauty of of the universe, the, and all the blessings we've all been showered with, and and uh, the opportunity to you know just to spread some happiness. That's what that's what humans are looking for all the time. Some kind of happiness. Mm-hmm. So, onward through the fog. <laughs> <laughs> well, on this show, I always like to, at the end, give the guest the stage. It's not limited to music, but I know that there are people who have been touched by your music from all over the world. What would you say to anybody who's tuned in? Well, well, I would say that the most, the best job you can ever find on this planet is to help somebody else. And uh, in doing so, there's a corollary to it. Do no harm. So... Love everything and everybody without exception. And I know that gets hard sometimes, but the difficult the difficulties are our greatest teachers. So go for it. That's about as succinct as I'm going to get this week, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. Well, everybody out there, they can visit butchhancock.net. Our guest has been Butch Hancock. I want to thank you so much, sir, for giving us this very entertaining and and visually thought provoking. I don't know even know what I would call it, but I I saw a lot of miniature movies in my head when you were talking. By, by what you, were, it was a very uh, evocative. I guess is the word. Well, those are just the G-rated ones. <laughs> <laughs> we'll 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 get into those next time. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> well, Butch, sir, thank you so much. Paul, thank you. I enjoyed talking to you, man. Call me up anytime. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Bless you. All right. Have a great week. You bet. You too. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> But this is a young girl. I guess I get back in the